Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Paul, Paul Penny, and I'm uh, the youth worker here at this church. Um, I've been in this church a, a few years now, a few years, I can't remember how many. It was like a lot longer. And uh, I'm here today to talk to you about faithfulness. But before I do, I just want to uh, just sort of introduce myself, really, because some of you know me and some of you don't. Um, as I said, my name is Paul Penny. I haven't always been Paul Penny. I have an alias. I used to be, and I grew up. Firstly, as Paul Penny, then when I was a little boy, my mother, in her infinite wisdom, changed my name to Paul Richardson, which was the name of the man that she was living with at that moment. Um, My stepfather, a lovely man, who, from the moment he met me, decided he didn't like me, which is hard to imagine, isn't it? Why couldn't you like, why wouldn't you like me? And considering I was like three or four at the time, it's unusual to not like a three or four year old child. But anyway, he made my life very difficult. I grew up in a non Christian family. Um, we moved to Kingsclear and then to Basingstoke. And uh, my life was difficult growing up as a child, just difficult, just crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, made to feel all the time ashamed to even exist. And I never understood it. Never understood why I had to feel ashamed, why I had to walk with my head down all the time, why I was always blamed for everything. I was always the one who did it. Who broke the table? Paul. Who did this? Who did the Paul? My mum went on and had two more children, and they caught on to that little game, and they said, when they did anything, who did it? Paul did it. Um, until I was 10. When I was 10 years old, my sister and I, who's uh, four years, three years younger than me, we found a bottle of sweets. We were very excited. My sister found them. They're in my mum's room. She tipped them out. They were bright pink. They were lovely. Uh, and we sorted them out. It was a little brown bottle. You might have seen them. We opened them up, she spread them out, we divided them up, one for me, one for her, one for my little brother, one for me, one for her, one for my little brother. And then we were just about to pop them in our mouths when my mother walked in and screamed like when mothers do. Because this was medication. It wasn't sweets. So we were in big, big bother. The person in most bother obviously was me. It was my fault even though my sister had opened them. We had to go to the hospital. We had to have our stomachs pumped, even though we hadn't had any, but no one believed us. And um, when we got back, my stepfather had assured me that when we got back from the hospital, he was going to, to knock my head through the wall, which was a favourite phrase of his. And I remember as a 10-year-old boy, and this is very clear in my mind, sitting with him in the dining room and hearing my sister and my brother in the other room crying and um, my mother telling them to be quiet. And I sat there and looking this man in the face who was about to beat me, and I don't just mean give me a slap, he used to beat me aggressively. Uh, and I said to him, why don't you like me? I don't understand. Why don't you like me? And at that point he looked at me and he told me that I was a mistake. My mother had had an affair in the 60s, 1967, a good year in my opinion. I'm quite glad, otherwise he'd be looking at an empty space now. And... At the same time as she had conceived me, so in the law courts and in the government of this country, they were debating the abortion issue. My mother had to consider that fact. Her parents were strict. She became the black sheep. If you remember me talking about sheep recently of the family, I became the child of the black sheep. And they used a particular word, which I won't use. It's like a swear word. But my stepfather referred to me as that word from then on. That child. And um, then I became a Christian. And you thought that would have made things better, but it didn't. It made things worse. My stepfather was even more furious that this crazy child had met Jesus, came home with this stupid grin on his face and said, oh, my God. And I said, yes, exactly. Exactly that. And began to live and love Jesus. And then I discovered, and here's where I'm going to lead into my talk, that throughout my life, 
escape. Throughout my life, God had had his hand on my life. From the moment I was born, there were people in my life who'd been praying for me. My family grew up in the northeast of England. Um, my mum and her family in a small village called Amble. Beautiful village. God's own country. Northumberland, you should go there. And there was a revival that happened in that county a long, long time ago. People were baptised on the beach in Amble. Many people, there's a plaque commemorating that. Amazing things happened. People did amazing things for God. Miners and people, working class people were saved and met with God. And my great-grandparents and great-grandparents and other relatives have been involved with that and have been praying throughout the years, which I only discovered as an adult. Then throughout my school career, every year of my school life, every single year, I had a Christian teacher. I had a Christian teacher. They didn't wear a big badge saying, I'm a Christian teacher. But they were Christians, and I discovered that when I became a Christian at 16 and 17 years old. God had his hand on my life. I was one of those teachers who led me to the church at 16, 17 years old. She went to Bible college the year I left school. She wrote to me, and then she came back to the UK, and she said, come along to this group of crazy people, pretty much like you. And I went along and was like, these people, whoa, crazy. But... I was curious because they seemed to know about Jesus. They seemed to know about God. They talk about him all the time. And they talked about Jesus particularly being in the room. And I spent hours looking for him. Which one is Jesus? Like, where's Wally? But looking for Jesus. And uh, eventually a man, a guy called Barney Coombs, great guy, he preached the gospel. I'd never really heard the gospel before. And he said, if anyone wants to know Jesus, there was about a thousand people in this meeting. It's called a celebration. Come to the front now. So there's me, this... Very, very thin, hard to imagine. Skinny, long-haired, shaggy hair. Young man, strolling up to the front. Barney comes down, yes. Brother? Brother? What? What are you here for? I just want to know Jesus, please. Where is he? Which one is he? And he said, let me introduce you. And he just prayed. Now, there weren't fireworks, lights in the sky and all that malarkey. But Jesus came to me quite simply and said, hello, son. And I was like, whoa, blown away. Hence the silly grin. So began the adventure of a lifetime. Now, I'd like to say, at this point, that life became easy. Unfortunately, that's not true. Life did not become easy. This book does not promise that life will become a lovely bed of roses. It's not true. Life became exciting. Life became adventurous. I'd go as far as to say sometimes life became pretty crazy. But there's one thing. And that's what I want to talk about today. One thing that has remained throughout my life, and realistically, I'd like to say it was all to do with me, but it isn't, and that was God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to me. Can you put the first, just the word, that would be lovely. Debate with myself. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, not, oh, hello. I'm not a very good speller. I debate with myself how to spell faithfulness. Even though I knew how to spell it, I debate with myself how to spell things all the time. And... Um, God's faithfulness for me was amazing, as I've said, and has been ever since. And I'd like to say I've been a perfect Christian, whatever that is. I've yet to meet one. I'm still looking. I've not found a, a perfect Christian yet, but um, I'm sure there are some out there. And uh, I want to just give you some definitions. So I looked up some definitions in the dictionary. And uh, definitions that came were really, really obvious, obviously. I think I knew them. Loyal, constant, true and accurate. Loyal, constant, true, 
and accurate, continuous, never-ending, absolute, totally right, totally right. Wow, faithfulness. Now, Nigel Hemming, bless him, asked me to do this talk using the book of Proverbs. And if you know me, I'm rubbish at sticking to task. And uh, I said, okay, okay then, I can do that. And uh, I looked through Proverbs and I got my big concordance out and I used electronic devices and other things. And it sort of pressed Proverbs, faithfulness, how many, how many? And a total of 21 references to the word faithfulness, faithfully, or unfaithful, or unfaithfulness. In total, 21. 21? What? And quite a lot of those are about the unfaithful, who are in big trouble. And I was like, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? So I prayed about it, panicked about it, wrestled about it, meditated about it, text Nigel a number of times and spoke to him face to face and said, thanks, mate. Um, But as I began to seek God, God began to speak to me. And I thought, maybe I'm on the wrong path, maybe I'm not. But God has given me a very clear message, I believe, to share with you, some thoughts to share with you, not a message. I'm like some sort of crazy man. Um, I want to read something to you. If you've got your Bibles... We are going to look at the book of Proverbs. And if you'll give me a little bit of grace, we might look in some other books as well, particularly the New Testament. Proverbs 16.6. Let's have a look at that together. I'll give you a moment to get there. It's only a short verse. Proverbs 16.6. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Yeah, great. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Simple. Absolutely simple. Absolutely clear. Through love and faithfulness. Here's where it starts to fall apart for me. (laughs) I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at being good. I'm very good at trying to be good. I'm very good at trying to be good and falling down and making mistakes and messing up. I don't know about you, but I seem to get myself into situations. And afterwards, I think, how did I get here in the first place? And it comes out of my mouth, or I find myself doing the wrong thing, or in the wrong place, or saying the wrong thing to people. And no matter how hard I try to achieve this, instead of atoning for my sins, I seem to add to them. Which is crazy. I think that's the human nature, isn't it? That's what we, we know about ourselves. I remember someone, a very wise man years ago, speaking to me, a very, an older gentleman, and saying, oh, Paul, I want to say something to you. I don't know if you ever had this happen to you. Uh, this is very important. You must remember this. I think it's from Ecclesiastes. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. Never forget So my heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Ah, oh, that's a good excuse. No, but it's true. You know, we do find ourselves getting into trouble, into making mistakes, into struggling with us being faithful to a faithful God, of us being constant, of us being loyal. And I don't know about you, 
But there are things in my life that, yes, I'm, I'm embarrassed about. And I talked earlier about shame, but I'm not talking about that sort of shame. I'm talking about feeling ashamed of things we've done, mistakes we make, even today, even yesterday. You know, driving here this morning, there were people that were trying to park outside the car boot sale, and they're taking their time. They've got a small car, and they're driving like it's a bus. I'm like, come on! Get out of my way. I've got to get to church. Oh. <laughs> church, that's right. Lord, help me. And uh, stop thinking those bad things about that person in the car, whose gender I didn't see, so I'm not going to be... Um, now, I want to get some audience participation, because I have here a little piece of paper. Oh, yeah, that'll do. And this piece of paper is what I call, you can see it, it's just a little piece of paper, it's nothing special. This is my, I don't know if you can see, my writing's really good. I used to be a teacher, I'm a great writer. Children could never read the comments I wrote. Yeah, he says it's great, you know. This is my grubby list. My grubby list. We've all got grubby lists. We don't want people to know about our grubby list, but I'm going to ask you to be a little bit dangerous today, a little bit risky. And I want you to shout out so I get angry. I have a road rage. It's hard to imagine. I sometimes get road rage, but you know, only occasionally. Never with any of you. Um, anybody else got anything they, they're happy to shout out for me so I can write it on my grubby list today? I was going to get a helper, and he promised he'd be here to help me, but he's gone to Soul Survivor. Huh. Anyone got anything they want to shout out? Oh, I lied. I used to lie terribly. Um, what else have I done? I'm trying to think of that. Oh, I... Oh, yes. I've said bad things about people, usually to their faces. That's the bad thing. My mum told me, you should, if you lie, you'll get found out. Never say anything about something you don't, somebody you wouldn't say to their face. So I grew up thinking it was okay to say it to their faces. <laughs> I learned very quickly at 17 with a girl called Mandy in my church when she said, what do you think of my hair? And I went, oh my goodness. <laughs> it looks like you've been dragged through a hedge backwards, Mandy. And she burst into tears and ran away. Her mum found me later on after the service and gave me a good talking to about how you don't say that to girls. But she asked me the truth. So I told her. Anybody else got anything I want to add to my grubby list? Or shall I just imagine what you're doing? I'm looking at you now. I'll leave that grubby list. Yes, go on. Oh. Right. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Offense. And for me, I'd sort of, I'm, sometimes I can be really unforgiving. Yeah, I forgive you. <laughs> it's forgotten. Next day. Yeah, I remember yesterday. Yeah, done it again. So I write unforgiving. Okay. I'll keep that grubby list there to remind me of myself. Thank you, Jane. You others. You've got your grubby list, I know. So um, it's important, you see, for us to understand that us being faithful is a historical problem. You know, I was listening to an amazing guy. You might have heard of him, Mike Pilavacci, um, Soul Survivor. And he was talking about this book, and he listed ev- loads and loads of people in the Bible. Loads of them. And he talked about them extensively. But he didn't talk about them how we normally hear people talking about them in church. He listed every single thing they'd done wrong. And this one did this. This one was naked, he got drunk. 
This one did this, this one did that. And he particularly homed in on um, Abraham. Abraham. And he talked about Abraham. He lied. He tried to sell his wife. He had a relationship with somebody else that wasn't his wife. He didn't trust simple, simple messages from God. Clear messages from God. If God sent me an angel, I'd be okay. I'm going to do it. He just didn't trust. And he made mistakes. And he failed. But weirdly, have a look at that verse in James 2, 23 for me. Because this is, well, it freaks me out, frankly. James 2, 23, describing that man, I've just told you all his faults. Describing him quite clearly. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. Huh? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. So does God have amnesia or selective memory? No, God is faithful. God is faithful. God looks at us through eyes of a faithful father, a loving father, a father who absolutely and utterly, utterly believes in you or I. The faithful, original plan of God was for God and us to be friends. To walk together, to talk together, to play together, to laugh together. To love together, to be known and to know God. That's the plan, that's the faithful plan, the original plan. That's what it's about, that's what it says in here I think. But that's what I know in my heart of hearts of hearts. From not growing up in a Christian family, I always knew that there was someone, someone who loved me. I used to chat to God as a child all the time. I said, people say, who are you talking to? God. Crazy, crazy child. But he listened and he was there. Because God is loyal. God is constant. God is true. God is accurate about us. He doesn't have a short memory, but he keeps no record of our wrongs. And there's a reason for that that I'll come on to. But how does this help you? How does it help me? You know, I've said life is tough. Life for me has been absolutely awful for the last few years, truly awful. It's been terrible. I'm working for the church. No, just kidding. But life has been hard. I lost my brother last year, my younger brother. After a really short battle, sudden battle, with terrible cancer. No sooner had my brother died and we'd had the funeral, which was really traumatic, than then my son rang me one morning. I was out on a team breakfast in Orsford with the church staff here to say, Oh, Dad, um, I'm not feeling very well. I'm at the doctor's. I think I'm having a heart attack. He was 19, 20, 19 at the time. And uh, I panicked. I said, I've got to go. Drove back to Basingstoke, by which time he was already at the hospital in the emergency room, in the emergency room of the emergency room. And they explained to us his lung had collapsed for no apparent reason. And it went through weeks and weeks and weeks of travelling. He got moved from Basingstoke to Allsford because it wouldn't reinflate. He had an operation which went a little bit wrong and his chest cavity filled with blood and it was awful. Um, the cars I were driving, my car broke down. The car I borrowed to drive broke down. I was left on the side of the road late at night crying. And the recovery man came. I hugged him and nearly kissed him but um, especially when he got the car started I was like thank you Lord 
There was no one around. I could call and everyone was away. And it was a tough time and it's been tough since. Lost the place I was living in, became technically homeless. I'm an expert sofa surfer. You should try it. It's dangerous. Fall off a sofa, you can hit the coffee table. Um, But God has been constant and God has not changed. Let's look at Proverbs 18 back again. Because this is what God spoke to me when I was thinking about faithfulness. You can go with me to Proverbs 18, he says. Shaking. Here we go. Proverbs 18 and 24. That's right. Yes. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And Proverbs 17, 17, just over the page. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born from a time of adversity. And you know who that friend is? And you know whose friend we are? I want to tell you a simple little nugget of truth today. Just turn with me to John 15, 15. John's in the New Testament, if you're worrying. Don't worry, I used to, when I first became a Christian, when I first went to church, I didn't know what I was doing. Still struggle now, not really. John 15, 15, what an amazing message this is for us this morning. We just read those two verses in Proverbs in the Old Testament about friends. This is what Jesus says in John 15, verse 15. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in the name of the Father, the Father will give you. This is my command. Simple. Love each other. So he says we are God's friend. If we are God's friend, then he is our friend. Friendships are two-way. He is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is that friend in the times of adversity. Not taking those times away necessarily, but walking with you. When I was struggling with church, I struggled with church for about 10 years. And I'd often be walking down the street and not really going to church. I went to a local Anglican church. And there were 26 people there when I arrived. And I was there for a year. At the end of the year, there were only 16 which dictates to you the size of and the age of the population, they hadn't left the church. They died over that year because they were all old. When I arrived, they were like, Yahoo, a young person. And I was born in 1967, hardly young. But I would walk around and often I would hear, physically hear, you can run, but you can't hide. The gift and call of God is irrevocable because God is faithful. No matter where I ran, no matter where I went, I would find Christians. I would hear God's call. You see, this friend is God. He is our friend. He is true. And he's your friend. You, all of you, every single one of you looking out there. Even if you think, well, I don't know what he's talking about. I never met God. Don't know what you're talking about. God is your friend. His original plan was to be your friend. And that plan has not changed. It will not change. We think about those characters in the Bible, those historical people that made mistakes. We think about all of that. 
And then we think about this, our grubby list. And you know, the enemy, there is an enemy out there, the devil. He will remind you of your grubby list. And you'll be thinking to yourself, well, my grubby list makes me unfaithful, makes me a cheat, makes me a liar, makes me all of these things. How can I be God's friend? You know, I make mistakes. But God is faithful. He sent Jesus to deal with this grubby list, to deal with all of this stuff. This is my list. This is your list. As I said, we all have lists. And when Jesus died on the cross, something happened. He took this list. He owned this list. He saw this list. He became this list. And he did something with the list to get rid of it once and for all. Your list and my list. Fact. Where's the list? How did God say about Abraham? Because there's no list of what we've done wrong. Because in that moment, past, present and future, Jesus took the list and kaboom. You can close your eyes. You might even see that faint glimmer in your eyes, but it'll be gone. It'll be gone because it is gone. It is gone. You see, the truth is God is faithful. He always has been. He always will be. He never wanted to not know us. He never wanted for us to be lost. But things happened. Mistakes were made. They always are. But he dealt with it. He dealt with it so that you and I could know the faithful God. He wants to walk with you faithfully through life even when it feels like he's a million miles away. The ups, the downs, the desperate days. Like I've said to you, no promises of ease, no promises of comfort. But when you think of those verses, Proverbs 17 and Proverbs 18, and read them to yourself this week, and know that. Wake up in the morning. Make sure you flip your legs out the right side of the bed, because if it's against the wall, it will hurt. And put your hand into his hand. Do it. Literally, as you walk out the door, take his hand. I'm not suggesting you walk down the road like this. People think you're a little bit crazy. But literally, take his hand. Put your life into his hand. When things are tough, he is faithful. If you want to cry, if you want to scream, some days I don't even feel like getting out of bed. And I just lay there and say, I don't want to get out of bed today, God. It's unusual for me because I'm not one for staying in bed. And he'll just be there. And I'll tell him what I'm feeling. And slowly but surely, I'll get out of bed. The day doesn't necessarily get easier, but he is with me. And I can say to him, I'm still feeling it. I'm still feeling bad. I'm still feeling rubbish. I still feel like I've failed you. And that might be you this morning. As I come to my close, you might be thinking, well, I've, I've kept my grubby list and I've tried really hard. I've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. You might be sitting here this morning thinking, well, I don't know God. My grubby list is much bigger than that little bit of paper. You could wrap the whole world in the things that I've done wrong. You could with my things, with all of our things. None of us are perfect. We'd like to think we are. But God has got rid of that grubby list. Totally. Utterly. Gone. It's not here. In Jesus, it's gone. So today you might be struggling with adversity, 
and need to know that God is faithful. He is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's that friend that walks with you through adversity. You might be trying to deal with it all on your own. I don't know. I've tried that. It's a killer. (laughs) Trying to deal with it on your own is a killer. Come to the faithful one and walk together. I'm not promising ease. I'm not promising instant solutions. But I'm promising a friend that will never leave you and hear you as you walk that road. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know God, and you want that friend to walk with you today, or you've been far away from him, today's the day. He loves you so much. He's crazy about you. He's crazy about you. He's calling out to you. He wants you to come and say, hello, it's me. I'm here. And come as you are. He can take it. He's the God of the second, third, fourth, fifth chance. I know. They say cats have nine lives. We Christians have so many lives we're given by God. He's so gracious. He's so loving. He's so forgiving. And he holds us in the palm of the hand, helps us not to do those things again as we grow to know this friend who is faithful and loves us for who we are and what we are because he is our faithful God. Thank you. Okay.